Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Reese Darby is an actor, writer, producer, and stand-up comedian from New Zealand. North American audiences first got to know him as Murray the Manager from HBO's Flight of the Concords, and more recently as Nigel the Guide in the Jumanji movies. His other film and TV credits include Yes Man, The X-Files, Wrecked, What We Do in the Shadows, and Hunt for the Wilder People. Reese's sound effects skills and voiceover work can be heard in such projects as Voltron Legendary Defender, as well as in his four previous stand-up specials. A fifth, Mystic Timebird, is due out in 2020. Also new from Darby, a Spotify podcast about aliens called Aliens Like Us. Darby recently caught up with me via Zoom from New Zealand, so let's get to it! I was just listening to the latest, uh, most recent episode of your podcast, Aliens Like Us, the pop culture episode. And uh, I found that fitting because last night I was watching for the first time since I saw it in the cinema, the latest Indiana Jones movie. Oh, wow. Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull, which is, uh, spoiler alert, there's some aliens in there. There are. (laughs) Um, Last things first, though. Where do, you, where do you currently come down on the theory that humans are the aliens on Earth? Well, I'm, I'm quite, uh, quite taken by that idea. Initially, I wasn't. But after meeting uh, Dr. Uh, Michael P. Masters, who wrote the book, um, name of which oh, I think it's identified flying objects. Yeah. Uh, upon speaking to him and he's a big, uh, I should, I should say buttons. My cohort is a big fan of Michael P masters. In fact, buttons, if I just diverge a bit, uh, claims this theory himself that aliens, he came up with this a few years ago, but I think, uh, Dr. Michael P masters did as well. Uh, so there is a little, uh, a rivalry there, but uh, they also both love the theory, so they're sort of on each other's team. Uh, that, yeah, that extraterrestrials are in fact us from the future, time traveling back. And, you know, the, and I, when I first heard that idea, I thought, well, there's no way because, you know, time travel, I don't think that's ever going to happen because that idea that if it does happen, then, you know, it has happened, and therefore we would see. Uh, time traveling machines all the time and then you know their argument is is that that's what the ufos are that's what these some of them anyway and we're not saying that they're all humans uh but the way that they that humans uh that evolution works and the way that uh these things are humanoid creatures to begin with uh that could be millions of years in the future coming back uh that we have evolved to you know end up looking like them and so, you know, it, there is a, a, certainly a sense to it once you get into the idea. Um, yeah, and it kind of, there's a sort of a comfort to it as well because, okay, so maybe it is just us. And then, and then f- with further research, uh, you know, there, is, uh, there are contactees and experiences who have um, witnessed situations whereby they can swear that they 
what they're dealing with is not uh, from another world that it is from this one. So, yeah, I mean, jury's out, obviously, and I think that it's not the complete answer, but I think it could possibly be part of the answer. What made me wonder about it once more is one of the memes that's come out of the pandemic is uh, people showing how nature has has evolved while we're in quarantine and saying right. that we're the virus. But I wonder, human beings are so different from every other living ecosystem on earth that maybe we're the we're the aliens right we're the aliens to this planet you mean right absolutely i mean that that fits in with ancient astronaut theory whereby uh extraterrestrials of some sort from from some dimension or some other universe have arrived here for some reason and have genetically manipulated what was here, which would have been a Neanderthal or very early uh, Homo sapien and, you know, manipulated us into what we are today and given us this, uh, this head, this, this soul this, that we have, this crazy wisdom that doesn't make any sense, the fact that we have a brain that we only use 10% of it and all of these skills that we learn and evolve over time to eventually uh, have and that's and that's the use of consciousness uh, and uh, through meditation and things like that 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 you know wasn't a thing with early man. So it's maybe we we are evolving and we're we're slowly coming to the point where we will be able to control our own destiny and leave our bodies and and see the rest of the universe. Um, and now this is pretty deep for me at nine a.m. in the morning, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I won't go too far into it. No, for more on that, please watch the Ridley Scott movie Prometheus. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, let's talk more about you. I was watching um, your series Short Poppies. Oh, cool. And there's an episode where you, your character, Steve Whittle, is a, is a ufologist. That's right. So obviously this is something that's been near and dear to you for quite a while. How close is Steve Whittle to, to Reese? Um, he's, well, he's very fun to play, uh, cause he's very, he's very meek and he's very uh, gentle. Uh, he's sort of, uh, misguided in some ways or, uh, or slightly unloved in some ways. And there's, there's not that that's me, but there's certainly elements of that w- with me that I feel inside. And I think that he has a, a wonder and a hope for something bigger in his life. And I think there's a lot of people that have that, that wonder about their existence and whether they should be here. Uh, I myself uh, am a mistake, so I wasn't supposed to be born. And that, that I mean, there's a lot of kids out there that feel that. And then with broken homes and what have you, wonder, you know, what their true destiny is. Uh, so the, these are probably the, the type of people that really get into paranormal stuff and uh, supernatural stuff. So that's why I've always been into the wonderful and weird, the other. Uh, so that involves everything from cryptozoology uh, to ufology. And so I've, I've just been interested, but I haven't, I haven't really been obsessed. And, you know, um, but I, I have a healthy interest. Not, you know, I, I, I don't dive down a rabbit hole and you won't see me for months and then I'll come up with a weird hat. Uh, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, because I have a very healthy sense of humor and that's my, that's my main thing. And I love uh, entertaining and I love 
uh, be, being interested. And, and so that's that these kind of subjects, um, are full of wonder. And I like the idea that, that humans haven't, uh, solved everything, that there is stuff on this planet that we don't understand. And that's why, uh, the subject matter, um, interests me. So being on an episode of the X-Files then must've been a dream come true for you. It was ridiculous. Yeah. I've had a few things in my life where I think, wow, the stars really have come together. There's been some sort of alignment and I was meant to do that. I was meant to fall into that. And that really fits into that particular weird, uh, supernatural in itself, um, moment because yeah, that show obviously is something I'm definitely interested in. The X-Files, that's such a phenomenal, uh, production and deals with the subject matter that I, that I love. And so for me to play uh, a weird monster in, in that show and for it to be a really, really good episode, um, really it blew my mind. And, you know, I still think about being there in that graveyard with Dukovny and, <laughs> uh, having that little fight that we had and, 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 and I try to kill myself and, uh, he stops me and, uh, and, and just the reversal of the, of the, of the weird, uh, creature phenomenon, I thought was so fantastic. Um, becoming human for the first time, not enjoying it. And I mean, these kind of things were like, uh, I think they resonate with a, with a lot of weird people and it certainly resonated with me. And, and I hope, uh, that I played, played it well. <laughs> now, did, <laughs> did, did, did you have any experiences when you were in the army in New Zealand that, that may play into your perspective on how or whether the government and military might cover up supernatural? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, unfortunately, I was in the New Zealand army and <laughs> we didn't have anything. We're not covering up anything. Uh, but I often have thought about it looking back because I had top secret vetting. I was a signals operator. So uh, I had to set a few tests and a few, they had to do a bit of research on my family background to, in, in order for me to, to have the job I had, which was a communications electronics operator. So I, I um, you know, I was essentially a, a code breaker uh, and that code unfortunately was just Morse code. So it wasn't too hard to break. <laughs> but uh, I was second. on... <laughs> Wait a second. You were, you were a code breaker <laughs> but one of your one of your specialties as a com comedian and a comedic actor is your ability to produce sound effects. Oh yeah, <laughs> is that connected in any way or one another one of these weird connections? You see, <laughs> because yeah, I can I can mimic any any sound and particular machinery sounds, which ma makes me think, uh, and I've often think uh, I've often thought. In, in uh, recent years, you know, why is that? Where where does my past life come from that I'm able to do that? And was I AI at some point, or was I, as I originally thought, uh, a bird from Australia known as the lyre bird, which is a which is the greatest uh, machinery mimic on the planet? Um, that didn't make any sense to me, but I did I did write a comedy special all about that. It's called the Mystic Time Bird, and that'll be out. Soon. We're just getting it edited. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. I do, I do uh, go off on a tangent on occasion. Um, so I forgot what you asked me originally now. <laughs> well, I, well I, I know like watching one of your earlier specials, uh, This Way to Spaceship, you talk about 
you know, one of your early dreams being making a career out of sound effects. Right. And then you end up with a job <laughs> that's about deciphering sound effects. It's almost like, did they know what they were getting into when they gave you that job? Mm. No. I, yeah. I mean, they, they, they're like, well, oh, he, can, he can make a Morse code with his mouth. Maybe, maybe he can also decipher it. Yeah, it's funny you should. Hey, I just got to plug this. I just got to give my, give my laptop some juice. There we go. There you go, baby. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I, I I tell you this much with the Morse code, I picked it up pretty pretty fast uh, because I'm, I was doing forty words per minute, which is essentially. That kind of speed, and I can't do that these days. But back in the day, and because it's all about rhythm, and it gets in your head, and the patterns, um, and I, you have to be able to picture what those, what each, what each code, uh, which each code looks like as a letter. Anyway, putting that aside, um, the sound effects thing, I would. Uh, in my army career, uh, bring up to my sergeant because we in the New Zealand army had a very low budget and we used to, during training exercises, uh, actually say the words bullets, bullets, bullets when we were using our, our weapons because we didn't have, we couldn't use blanks. We couldn't afford the, uh, live ammunition. And for obvious reasons, we didn't, you know, we kept that kind of stuff, uh, for special occasions like wars, uh, so, <laughs> during, so during training, we would say bullets, bullets, bullets. And it was, it was ridiculous. But I was like 17, 18 at this point. And I said to my sergeant, look, what about if we did the machine gun sounds? And he went, what do you mean? And I went. And he would go, whoa, what is that? And I said, well, that's the machine gun. He, and he sort of, you know, he, he, he got up from being ducked down into cover. And he said, look, we can't all do that, Darby. And I said, okay, well. Maybe I should be in the elite core, <laughs> but he didn't further further my dream there. At what point did you pick up the comedy bug, like professionally? Oh, well, definitely. Uh, once I left the military, I went straight to university. That was my next plan because I, I felt like okay, soldier wasn't going to be my uh, wasn't going to be my career. Uh, so I thought, what were what other skills did I have? Obviously, sound effects. Um, <laughs> I could do doors opening, various machines, uh, that kind of thing. But really, there was no, there was no. I, I went in to the careers advisor and, and told him about my sounds, and he said, "Look, a lot of those things that you're doing uh, the sounds of, they already have those sounds." So you know, so then I was kind of like, "Oh shit, this is catch twenty two, isn't it? Classic." Yeah. So he uh, said, "Look, university for you." Um, I was good at English for some reason I could write uh, and I'm not a good reader, but I could certainly uh, write a good essay and flower it up. And I had a creative, I had creative writing skills. So I thought reporter. So I uh, also was a big fan of the Tintin books, which I, aren't a big American thing, but uh, I'm working uh, on my Tintin right now. Oh my gosh. You, you look great. <laughs> You've got your Tintin uh, here. Yeah. The little quiff. So I, um, I even had that, uh, but you know, obviously a lot thicker and yeah. harder to control. But, uh, but uh, you know, I didn't have a dog sidekick. But I thought, you know, I could be a reporter and uh, I could see the world and solve mysteries as, as an adventurer. 
And uh, so that was my idea at university. And, and then four years into that, um, I, well, whilst I was there, let's be honest, probably six, six weeks into it, uh, I, I found the, uh, the, there was clubs and societies day and I went along and there was a club called the comedy club and, uh, the, the chap guy Roberts was the president of the comedy club and he saw me walking through the, uh, uh, I don't know, the, the corridor, uh, and he said, hey, come over here. And I said, what? And he goes, what about the comedy club for you? And I said, why Why me? And he goes, oh, just the way you're walking. <laughs> so, so I signed up on the spot because I, I, I was always a class clown and, I, had, and I, you know, I could entertain my friends. So I thought, well, yeah, I should join a club. And so it was the only club I joined. turned out to be a brilliant one because it was like-minded nerds and geeks who are boys and girls who really were the weird people uh, who didn't get on with anyone else, but they were funny. And so it was, it was, it was meant to be. Uh, And then after that, yeah, we did like an annual show. So we wrote sketches. uh, And then pretty soon after that, um, I I met another guy in town called Grant uh, whilst working at a uh, theater restaurant called Excalibur's. Uh, so that's where you go for dinner and the people that serve you, me, are dressed up in costume and then there's also a play that happens on a stage while you have your dinner. So this <laughs> Yeah, in, in America in America it's called medieval times. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's like that, but really nowhere near the budget. So just, just one room, but right. you know, equally as entertaining. So I met my mate Grant there and he was a chef. And so we got talking, he had a bass guitar. I had a few ideas for some lyrics. And so we ended up making a comedy duo. And so that was it. What recently granted uh, was born. And then we performed in comedy festivals. And from there, I really already, I had the bug then and I was like, I should have been doing this weeks ago. Uh, (laughs) So we started performing and it just was natural for me to then uh, carry on as a solo stand-up. My stand-up was always very physical uh, because growing up, I was a big fan of Monty Python and sketch comedy uh, in particular, uh, the British stuff, um, but also just anything that that was uh, surreal and sort of uh, off kilter. So that was kind of my flavor. And so I would do that and I would perform various characters as just as a one man person. That's a great, that's a great term. (laughs) (laughs) You've heard of the one man band. Well, now I'm I'm presenting to you the one man person. (laughs) Is there, uh, is there a reason though that from our generation, particularly out of New Zealand, uh, we saw quite a few duos, whether it was yeah. Ian Grant and Jermaine and Brett or Jermaine and Taika or. Yeah. Then there's also sugar and spice, which one that, 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 that was another, look <laughs> at you laughing at that. It does sound a bit saucy. Rose and Matafeo. Yeah. Rose and Matafeo. No, they are a one man person, uh, <laughs> a one woman person. Um, but yeah, no, I think, I think, there's, there's no extra amount of duos coming out of NZ, uh, but the duos are a great thing for comedy. And we, we also uh, enjoyed a lot of British duos um, during the 70s and 80s, the two Ronnies. Um, you've got, of course, American side of things, Abbott and Costello. The, the, the wonderful thing about the duo is you can have your straight person 
you're, you're, you're a crazy person and you've got an instant uh, yin and yang. You've got your fall guy and, and just you're set up in your punchline. So it's just, it's, it's the one, two punch. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And you've also, you can also share the burden of writing and performing together. So if you go badly, you can look at your mate and you've both gone badly. If when you're on your own, you know, as a, as a solo stand up, it's the scariest, uh, and, and loneliest career you can ever have, particularly if you're not good. (laughs) (laughs) Um, tell me about like, you know, obviously um, the American audience got to know you through flight of the Concords. What was it like for you to try to break out of that into your own kind of mm. n- niche or your own roles in TV and movies in America? <clears throat> yeah, it was, it was, I was blessed to be in that show with my friends uh, because America got to see me at the same time uh, they got to see them. And I really didn't know where I was going to go from there. I had already had a stand-up comedy career before then uh, in England, uh, the UK and as a whole, and, and obviously New Zealand and Australia knew me, but I hadn't been anywhere else. Um, and so once the Concords finished with, with having a, uh, a foot in the door with America, I was signed up to a good agency. I shared the same, uh, well, I was, uh, shared the same agency as the Concords, um, really what happened next was getting yes man and that was the jim carrey film which which actually was i think was actually between seasons and that sort of skyrocketed me or at least gave me an extra ladder to to wave out at hollywood and say hey maybe i can stick around for a while um and that was peyton reed who uh who hired me for that job he was directing on that great wonderful guy who's also into cryptozoology by the way um, so he's the director of Ant-Man uh, right. and, and various other things. Um, so that was, that was really cool getting that. And, and not only because it was my first movie, I'd never done anything uh, other than Concords for television. I'd never acted before. So to suddenly be thrust into a Jim Carrey movie, by the way, my hero, you know, grew up like watching, obviously I talked about physical comedy and, and uh, you know, um, manic uh, alternative acts and he, he's, he's right up there uh, as a hero for me. So to, to actually be with him and uh, to try and hold it together and, and pretend that I know what I'm doing in front of him was, was, was a crazy challenge, but uh, I got away with it. He was lovely uh, and, and, and championed me to the press and stuff. And, and so which he didn't need to do, but he said some really great things about me. And that, and that gave me a, a lot of confidence. Uh, and then we decided to, to stick around. So it was Los Angeles was next because we were in New York uh, for Concords. Right. And uh, yeah, so it was, it was having, it was being connected and, and my wife as well sort of saying, you know, let's give this a, let's give this a, uh, a chance in the States. Cause I, I really didn't think like most, most back then, um, from New Zealand and, and the UK that 
that America was an option because it was it was difficult. It's difficult to get in, and with the uh, you got to have, get get yourself a green card. And if you don't have that, you know the only way of of getting work is to be hired in the first place and get some get a visa. And then when that runs out, you know you you kind of sitting there going any any other any other options, please. Uh, so we we did the the hard yards and got that green card and that was the best decision we we ever did and that took nine months worth of uh you know lawyers and 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 money spent and and you know and a lot of paperwork i didn't do much of it myself but it was certainly it was finally achieved and then it was like all right well let's let's go and see what what they've got and uh yeah i think it was it was literally the fact that uh timing and being in that concord show uh, and, and then the, 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 uh, the Peyton Reed movie, Yes Man, um, that led other people in the comedy realm to give notice, uh, not give notice. Um, sorry, Reese, that's take it. Notice. <laughs> yeah, take, take notice. Yeah, take notice. <laughs> that's the one. To take you gave notice. It and I took it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so other, other offers came in, you know, and, and, you know, I, I stuck it out. Um, because I, I felt like I was on the right thing. And I felt like I had clocked some of those other countries in a way. Like, for example, New Zealand, I, you know, I'd hit a ceiling there pretty quickly. I wanted to get my entertainment, my style of comedy out to the rest of the world. And, and sharing that idea, uh, Brett and Jermaine and Taika, we all felt the same way, that we were onto something, that... Um, our sense of humor uh, was resonating uh, in America. And that's, that's a really cool thing because then it's just the waves, you know, get bigger and, and filter throughout the rest of the world. And so, yeah, we kind of, um, we're, we're still, we're still there. But you, I guess to, to borrow a phrase, you've come out of the shadows. <laughs> what, you, yeah. what you did in the shadows is now out. Um, Absolutely. You know, in this in this pandemic, which you know nobody really knows how long this is going to last, mm. but we've see, we've already seen a, a glut of new podcasters into the mix. You actually started Aliens Like Us a couple months before the pandemic. So tell me, yeah. tell me how you decided to start Aliens Like Us and why on Spotify? Well, obviously, um, Spotify just seems to me to be the best system to do anything audio on it really is set up in such a perfect way uh and it gets better they keep uh amending anything that was missing i mean i i i'm a bit biased because i've had spotify for so long but i just feel like it's an old friend now as soon as i click it on i've got these things saying hey hey reese welcome back hey some stuff that you might want hey remember check this out and it's always on the notes you know like the the choices and stuff that i uh, I know it's all algorithms and whatnot, but you know it, it just feels like a really user-friendly system and a really professional one. And and look, I'm not an Apple user at all, so I'm I'm guilty of the fact that I'm not part of that weird religion. Uh, and I don't mind those that are into it, but you know, for me, I use other syst- I use other um, contraptions, and so um, there wasn't any uh, alignment that I had there. Um, Spotify, I think uh, they they wanted more comedy. They wanted they what to give them credit. They wanted sort of alternative ideas. They didn't necessarily want too much mainstream stuff. 
And so that's where I came on board. Um, I offer comedy, but I also offer, uh, you know, let's talk about something weird that's going to turn people's heads. Let's talk about something that is um, unknown, but also known. And there's a lot of conspiracy theory behind it, but without going into that too deeply, let's take a lighter path on it and using comedy um, actually draw people in who may not even know about the subject matter of, of aliens and extraterrestrials. Uh, and so that's what this show idea sort of uh, encompassed. It was really um, using humor to also freak people out about what might be going on. And, you know, and we're honest about it. Like I believe buttons believes uh, my other compadre, Ethan, has no idea. Uh, he, he's a young millennial uh, and and he's perfect because that's the audience that really want to know and want to think and want to go or make their own decisions, but also um, look at look at the uh, just the wave upon wave of of uh, of evidence that's that's coming out these days about the subject matter. It really is exciting, and you can either completely avoid it and go, I don't care, it's all BS. I'm just going to watch Netflix and, you know, crack open a beer and hit the sack, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which means go to bed in case that was a New Zealand term. Um, or, or actually think, you know what, we're only alive once, possibly, or maybe not. Let's dive deeper into the true meaning of what we are, who created us, where we're going, and is there other dimensions? Are we living in a... Uh, matrix, you know, as Elon Musk uh, famously uh, believes. Um, and, you know, he's a smart guy. And so... <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. And all, all with that, with also having a laugh. So you can take it with, with a grain of salt or you can, it might interest people to, to deep dive further. And honestly, a lot of those paranormal um, podcasts can be a bit dull. They can be a bit too intense. And so I'm offering uh, something lighter and funnier. And, uh, but I'm also getting to interview, um, you know, the real people of the ufology community. So uh, Nick Pope, um, you know, we've got uh, Richard Dolan. Uh, we've got um, Linda Moulton Howe. I mean, the list goes on. And also we use, uh, you know, entertainment people, friends of mine, Jim Jeffries, uh, famous comedian, Aussie, unfortunately. And, uh, <laughs> um, Jack Osborne, by the way, who's in, who's in the latest episode, the last one that's uh, about to come out. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Who's absolutely fascinating and is really into this subject matter. Uh, Jack Osborne's awesome. So, yeah. Has it, has it changed your opinion on aliens? No. No, <laughs> no look, I, I, I believe from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm already on board. Buttons is on board. Ethan is the, is the skeptic. He's the kind of, he's the little producer, uh, Ethan. He comes down from his skeptical deck. And, uh, he says, yeah, maybe, well, well, I'm starting to believe that. I'm trying to do him now. Oh, I'm starting to believe that. Yeah, well, maybe, but uh, what about this? You know, and uh, 
which is good because you've got to have that. You've got to have the uh, <clears throat> the eyes on the other ball that isn't spinning and uh, freaking you out and mesmerizing you. You've got to have the, the the ball that's just sitting there. I don't know what this analogy is. I've just got two balls now. and it's <laughs> That's the right <laughs> amount of balls, right amount. Um, before I let you go and get back to your uh, cup of coffee, uh, you mentioned your fifth special, Mystic Time Bird, is yeah. in post-production. Yes. So that's... That's got to be comforting to you, right? That you that you filmed it, so it's actually <laughs> it's there. It is. It is it, there. Do you feel do you feel a certain pressure to put it out quickly, or do you feel like the circumstances we're going through gives you yeah. more time to work on the editing and the direction of it? Uh, yeah, no, I, I haven't felt any pressure uh, to put that one out. It's my fifth one. It's the most important one because it's based on 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 a true story. Uh, it's based on um, some some weird stuff. It's it's very physical, like the others. It's got. I'm really proud of it. Um, I, I shot it in Galway in Ireland in their oh, town hall. Way. Yeah, and it was a beautiful place to be. Um, and it really, it's sort of, it's kind of like a timeless piece. It's not, it's not about anything that's happening right now, but it is about who we are as people and why we exist and have we lived before. And so it sort of asks questions um, that some of my earlier ones perhaps didn't, but they were just, uh, you know, I had themes for the last two or three, but this one I think uh, gets a bit deeper. And so, um, I think now's the perfect time to be putting stuff out because let's face it, we can't do anything else but sit home and watch. So, uh, yeah, I'm just working out what, the, uh, who wants it and, uh, what the best way for me to get it out is because, um, you know, like, like every other, uh, person out there, I don't know where my next paycheck's coming from. So, um, in the same way, you know, I'm, I'm, and I should say this, I'm, I'm currently making, uh, you know, for free a, a TV show online called the, uh, called the Alone Rangers. And it's, and it's here, I'm making it here in New Zealand with the other people I'm isolating with. And we have uh, cameras and um, editing people and, and, and two other actors uh, along with me. And we've made this show and it's on my YouTube channel. And we're putting a lot of work into that, uh, writing and, and, uh, creating this thing. A um, couple of the dudes are like editing for like 10 hour stretches. Sometimes I really got to cut down on this, on the, on the scripts and uh, yeah, cause no one's getting paid and it just feels good because being creative, uh, making something for free for people who are stuck in their houses right now uh, seems to be the thing to do. So maybe that's, that's the way we're going now. It's kind of like humans are, um, diminishing their uh, ridiculous ambitions and opening up their community spirit and their human souls. And maybe there's more sort of, um, uh, what do I want to say here? Um, more, more bargaining. Like I'll give you a rock if you give me uh, a fishing rod, uh, you know, let's maybe money's on its way out. Maybe materialistic <laughs> things are going to be uh, not so important anymore and we'll get back to doing what we really do, which is um, hanging out, communicating, 
um, thinking, and of course, listening to podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, Reese, thank you so much for hanging out with me. I really appreciate it. No worries. It. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right, bye. Bye. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.